Happy New Year, DanceWell listeners. Here at DanceWell Podcast, we aim to deliver high quality content on 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. That's a quote, 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. And in large part, I think we've done a fairly balanced job of achieving that. But Marissa and I have observed that financial well-being is one facet that we have neglected. Well, no longer. Here's some background information on this episode. Marissa and I both knew that the majority of dance science research is concerned with dancers' physical well-being, particularly injury, and we were curious if this matched up with dancers' own concern. So we set out to investigate what dancers themselves were concerned with by exploring a multidimensional perspective of well-being. We were especially interested in dancers' own perspectives of their well-being and launched a three-part survey, which well over 200 people responded to. Perhaps you yourself were among them. We asked dancers about their social, psychological, physical, occupational, and financial well-being and found out several interesting things. You can inquire by email if you want to know them all, but one thing we found was that dancers are concerned about money. No surprise there, right? My friend calls that water is wet research. Well, we also found that while dancers had diverse concerns about their well-being, they seemed most eager to engage in self-care like yoga, massage, eating well, and going to the gym, physical self-care, or arguably psychological self-care if you know how linked the body and mind are for dancers. Anyhow, what was particularly interesting to us was how few dancers expressed any interest in addressing their financial well-being through self-care like financial counseling, advocating for a pay raise, or establishing a realistic budget for themselves. We were concerned, um, and this alongside the fact that we had never produced an episode about financial wellness, we knew we needed to get on it. So today... January 1st, 2020, is New Year's Day, and it's a time when people make resolutions, possibly even to address their financial condition. So Marissa and I decided that January 1st would be a great time to release our first ever episode about financial wellness. For episode 58, Money, 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 I spoke to Rebecca Selko. Rebecca Selko runs the Financial Wellness Program at the Actors Fund in New York City, which if you don't know, provides amazing free resources to all performing artists, including dancers in New York, LA, and Chicago. There, she develops and teaches workshops and seminars designed to engage, educate, and empower performing artists, professionals about the role of money in their lives. Particular areas of expertise include budgeting, with variable and multiple sources of income, managing and eliminating debt, and cultivating a financially healthy mindset. She's also a licensed attorney and author of Dominate Your Debt, a work and play book. Rebecca earned her BA Magna Cum Laude from Middlebury College and her JD from Brooklyn Law School. She's a trained classical singer and flutist, and she loves... She wrote that in all capital letters. She loves karaoke. We're so grateful for the valuable information that Rebecca has shared on this important topic. So I hope you enjoy 
this episode. Buckle your seatbelt. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological development. Today you are in for traction. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. All right, Rebecca, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview on Dancewell. And I'm really excited to um, share this information and also be a bit educated on the topic myself. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a pleasure to be here with you. Great. Um, let's start with the very basics. What's included in financial wellness? I'm thinking um, budgeting, saving, avoiding debt. Um, is all of that right? And what else is included in financial wellness? Yes. And, um, and so budgeting, saving, debt, all of that definitely included. Um, but thinking bigger picture, financial wellness is, um, we like to say it's the intricate balance of three things. So it's the mental, the spiritual, and the physical aspects of money. So what you think about money, what you feel about money, and what you do with your money. So the pieces that you just mentioned, the budgeting, saving, um, debt aspects of money definitely fall into the doing piece of money. But we also want to um, remember that what we think and feel about what we're doing with our money is equally as important. And it's about finding the right balance among those three things um, to be financially well. I'm using air quotes, but you can't see, <laughs> but yes, financially well. <laughs> That's great. Can you repeat those mental, spiritual, and? And physical. Physical. So, so the think, act. What you feel and what you do. Okay. Um, I haven't heard that before. Can you give us an example of, I can imagine the mental that has to do with um, mindset. So what would be an example of a mental mindset that people have about money? Oh, um, hmm. so what I'm thinking about, like, I think I, I should do this. I should do that, right? I, I should have paid off my credit card debt by now. I shouldn't have credit card debt. I shouldn't have bought that latte. Um, I should be saving. I should know this by now. All those things are kind of what I'm thinking um, about my money. In addition to like the, just the day-to-day decisions of I'm going to the grocery store, I'm going to buy this or that. And then the spiritual would be like, I feel dread about money mm-hmm. or exactly. I feel that I deserve money or... Right. So I'm anxious. So it could be negative, right? I'm anxious. I feel shame. I feel depressed, right? It can also be um, positive, right? I'm, I'm excited to learn more. I'm eager. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, so yeah, all the things that I'm feeling about my money, a lot of things um, come up um, with our financial history, right? So what we've heard about money, how we were raised with money, our money story, our background, um, all of that comes into play too. So when we're thinking, oh, this is just about, you know, my decision to buy um, a banana at the bodega today, right? It's about so much more than that. Like there's so many little factors that we may or may not be aware of that are impacting the decisions that we make with our money, big and small. That's interesting, and that definitely segues to something I wanted to talk about, which is in the arts, I'm sure this exists in other fields, but in dance, part of that financial history is the narrative that dancers are poor, being poor is part of being an artist, Um, maybe even you're not a real artist if you're 
not poor, all of that. Mm. Um, and I think that that definitely, I lived that. Like I definitely felt in my 20s that there really was no point working too hard at my financial wellness because I was sort of destined to be poor as a dancer. Does that seem like an attitude that you see a lot among the population that you work with? Yes. Yes, period. Yes, yes, it does. Absolutely. And of course, there's this myth of like, well, I don't know if it's a myth or not, right? But it's this idea of the starving artist, right? It's noble to pursue your art and sacrifice, you know, abundance or financial financial wellness. Um, I think that the idea that like there's no point to doing anything about it and that there is a reality of um, financial challenges when you sign up for a career in the arts or even part of your career in the arts, right? It's two different things um, because the reality of the industry is, yes, right, variable income, inconsistent income, low income, no income, right, depending on the the situation, right? So those are all very real things. Um, and yet there is a point in budgeting, right? There is a point in being aware. Um, I like to say like the system is, the system, you know, again, using those air quotes, the system is designed for one W-2, right? That's what it is. One W-2, have a, have a 401k, right? Everything, health insurance, all that, like that's what the system is set up for. So if you're deviating from that, if you're outside of that one W-2 until you retire and then you have your 401k with your employer match, um, <laughs> excuse me, if you are outside of that system, then it is absolutely critical that you plan, right? That you have budgets, that you that you pay attention to your money, right? You can kind of slide by if you're getting the same paycheck every two weeks, and then it's just going to go up and up and up, right? You can get by, um, but if you don't have that, then it's absolutely essential that you are planning, and that is where budgeting comes in. Um, and if there, if it is possible for you to um, adopt the mindset, right, what you're thinking about money and what you're feeling about money, that you will one day have more, right, that, that that's going to be the case, then you don't want to start learning how to manage when you have money, right? You start when you don't, you start when you have less, make the mistakes with insignificant amounts of money, smaller amounts of money, so that when that million dollars comes in, um, when a big job comes in, then you're not making the same, you know, and you're not making the mistakes when the stakes are so much higher. Um, so there's a, a statistic I share sometimes that 80% of lottery winners find themselves in a worse position right. after winning lottery, right? And this is not just lottery winners, but also athletes, also dancers, performing yeah. artists, actors, et cetera. You come into this big amount of money and then you blow it. And it's not because you're greedy. It's not because you're selfish. It's not because you're stupid. It's because you manage your money the same when you have it as when you didn't. So start small, start wherever you are, start learning the skills, start building the habits, um, and then they will serve you well when there's more to, to deal with. Wow, I have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is so true. I mean, million dollars, you know, maybe that won't happen, but 
Honestly, it does. Like I'm thinking of some choreographers right now who are on Broadway, who were downtown dance artists where there was no expectation of money at all. And they are now choreographing on Broadway. And I assume, I hope, are, you know, earning a reasonable fee for that. And that's such an interesting point about learning about money before the big stuff comes in. And and personally, I remember um, before I stopped performing as much, I had one job that paid really well and I was able to save up some money and I really didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> Since you've brought up the system, I we have a lot of international listeners. So um, we should clarify that the system is culturally specific. So um, ah, yes. for those who are overseas, when we talk about one W-2, what you know, W-2s are our tax forms. So you're implying that the system is set up for people to have one single job from which they get their income. Um, and healthcare would be another thing too, right? Like our system is set up so that you get your healthcare through your big corporate employer. And again, that doesn't work for those of us who are artists or freelancers. Anything to exactly. add about that? No, that's that's what I meant. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty of budgeting and get some specific advice from you, but let's um, continue to build up the landscape of the the dancers' finances. Um, how let's let's actually first talk about where dancers go wrong. What do you see dancers doing with their money or not doing with their money? What are the biggest mistakes that you're seeing among dancers when it comes to money? There are I would say two like major ones there's there's plenty (laughs) there's plenty but it's not it's not unique to dancers so um but there's plenty plenty um but the two major ones I would say are one um and I'm gonna say this and I'm like I'm hesitating because I don't want it to be interpreted the wrong way so credit card debt as available money right so I'm not saying credit card debt is a mistake because it is not right sometimes that is the only option um, or it can feel like the only option certainly and it's not a bad option um, it's when credit card debt is not respected for what it is which is a very expensive way of buying something, right? So you're, when you use credit cards um, as available cash, which they are not, they are debt, right? So use credit cards um, without respecting them and um, and seeing that kind of debt as an inevitable way of life. I think that's a major mistake. Um, and then the second is um, avoiding, <laughs> avoiding, avoiding in general, avoiding your money, Um because of kind of what we were just talking about, right? It feels like there's no point to doing it uh, or because, and maybe some combination of these things or because it feels uncomfortable or you don't know what to do. So when we're, we can't do it well, we just don't want to do it at all. Um, which is All these are very natural, normal things to feel. And yet um, they're just going to make it worse, right? So we have to acknowledge that it is challenging, that, um, you know, maybe the credit card feels like the only option and then figure out how we're going to work within that reality and make it 
better, right? Make it better for ourselves. Um, and then this, there's a third one too that I was thinking about um, as I was saying this is um, just isolation, right? Thinking I'm the only one. And I get this I do see all the time. Um, and it, it would be amusing, except it's not amusing, right? That it's like, oh, I'm the only one that has this issue, right? Um, but this, this is like, I have this very unique situation and most of the time it's not a unique situation. So isolating and thinking I'm the only dancer, I'm the only person that's, that, that made these mistakes or that's, that's feeling this or that has this situation going on. Like, no, probably not. Like, probably not. And so let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about it. Let's be in community. Let's not isolate um, ourselves when it comes to these things. How are dancers affected when their financial well-being is poor? Oh, my God. How are they not, right? Um well, it affects the mental, spiritual, and physical aspects of yourself, right? It can affect how you're, certainly how you're feeling and even, you know, being such a physical profession, right? It affects how you're feeling physically, not just emotionally. Um, I think about um, the idea of desperation, right? When we're desperate for money, when we're hungry for money, like it almost has like a palpable scent like a palpable feeling to it and if you think that's not impacting your audition if you think that's not impacting your negotiation it is right people can sense that um it may affect your ability to get hired or it may affect your ability to perform at the highest levels um and certainly it's impacting the choices that you're making or the actions that you are taking so and how that manifests is maybe taking a job or um, saying yes to an opportunity that isn't right or that is actually potentially detrimental um, versus being able to say yes to the things that we want to do because we want to do them because they would be good for our professional um, or even personal development. So like every, I mean, everything is affected, but I think those are some specific, you know, those are some specific things. And for dancers, especially like the physical well-being is really affected. Like Mm -hmm. I know so many dancers who feel like they can't afford to take class or they can't afford to see that body worker that actually keeps their body performance ready or, they can't afford good nutritious food or, you know, mm-hmm. things that um, maybe have a some an immediate and some a more long-term effect on their physical ability to perform. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're not, I think anybody who's, feel, anybody who's listening who's feeling that way, it's not like there's something wrong with you for feeling that way, right? We, we, the first step is acknowledging that that's the case right that there there might be an issue or there might like your financial situation may be having an impact on your physical uh, on your physical self right because it manifests I mean stress manifests in ways that are very surprising sometimes in our physical bodies our body is an amazing machine um and so so acknowledging that that is the case that it is it is that's what's supposed to happen, right? That the body is reacting in very normal ways. Um, then the next question just becomes, okay, so knowing that this is a reality and there's nothing wrong with it, what do I do? What can I do um, that would be right for me to try to address it, right? So nothing, nothing wrong. Um, we just acknowledge and then figure out what the next step might be or the next steps might be. Great. 
Um, going back to the system that you <laughs> going yeah. back to that. Um, so freelancing is, of course, like a growing way that dancers are, are making a life in dance and not just dancers. It's a growing trend in our society in general. Um, and of course, freelancing comes with a lot of expenses. You have to pay 100% of your Social Security rather than half. You may not get health care through your employer. You may not get free class, dance class. If you're a freelancer, you may have to be paying for class. You may not have access to um, on-site physical therapy. You have to pay for that, all of those things. Um, and to reveal my personal fi finances, um, when I stopped dancing as a freelancer, I saved $20,000 that year. <laughs> and that was really, Whoa. yeah. I, I, t I teach Pilates, so I had a means for income, which I was using all along. But by quitting dancing, not only did I save money not going to class and not doing some of the body work that no longer became as critical. Um, but just the opportunity cost by not being in these low paid rehearsals, I could instead be teaching this in this more lucrative capacity. Um, so all of that together added up to this really substantial sum and was really eye opening to me in terms of not only how expensive it is to freelance, but even just restructuring how I thought about my identity as a dancer, even though I was getting paid to dance, it started to look more like a expensive hobby when I, when I saw it that way. So could you talk a little bit about freelancing and, um, is it realistic? Is it, is it crazy? And how can we make it less <laughs> crazy? How can we make it, um, work for us financially a little bit better and um, any other thoughts you have on it? So many. Um, I'll try to organize them in some sort of coherent fashion. Um, okay, so freelancing, I think taking a step back and thinking about what that is um, so that it doesn't become even or feel like an expensive hobby, you know, even though it's called freelancing, it's a business, right? Whether you are incorporated or have an LLC or you're just just sole proprietor, but not just a sole, or you're a sole proprietor, there's no just, or you're a sole proprietor, right? If you're freelancing, then, and you have no employer and you are your own employer, right? So this is a business that you are running and you're the only employee in your own business. Um, so the same way any, again, air quotes again, um, business, corporate um, type of um business may decide what they're going to invest in. You are deciding what you're investing in. And ideally, if you have, um, if you're a freelancer and you have a business, then you want to make investments that are going to pay off, right? So in the sense that, let's say, right, so I spend $20,000 on my business and any business does, right? Any business owner has to invest in the business. So the business is you, right? You're the business and the employee. Um, if you're investing in that business, you want to see a profit come out of it. So if you're investing 20,000, are you investing 20 to make 40? Are you investing 20 to make 50? Are you investing 20 to make 100? Are you investing 20 to make 10, right? And it's okay if a business operates at a loss, right? Many businesses start out operating at a loss. Many businesses continue to operate at a loss for many years for various reasons. And there's, again, nothing wrong with that unless there's no plan behind it. 
So if it's, I like dancing, it costs me 20000 Um Just to use your example, by the way, this is not in any way like yeah. a critique of no, that's like it. Um, no so I, I have a business, I pay $20,000, um, and that's part of my plan, then that's okay as opposed to, oh, it just cost me $20,000, I like dancing, the end, right? There's two different ways to approach it. Um, or probably more, but at least two ways to approach it. So if you're going to be a freelancer, one, think like a business owner, right? That is very important. You have a business, you're not being paid by the system, right? So you are the employer and the employee and the business owner, the president, the CEO, the COO, the CTO, the CFL, all the things. Um, so how, how are you going to make those investments? And then how are those investments going to pay off? And if your business is going for a while and it's, you're investing money in it and it's not turning a profit, then what's next? Not like, oh, well, this is a bad business. I should close its doors. No, it's okay. So what are some other things that I might be able to do to help my business turn a profit? Um, One of the key components of a performing arts career for dancers or any kind of, um, actually, it's not even performing arts, any kind of career that you have where your livelihood depends on other people saying yes to you, um, your income is out of your control, right? So you decide as a freelancer, business owner, dancer, performing artist, um, how much of that livelihood you are okay having outside of your control. Um, so are you, are you comfortable and confident with a hundred percent of your income, depending on other people saying yes, and that could be, you know, booking a role, a contract, clients, right? Any kind of people saying yes to you. Um, if you're comfortable with a hundred percent, great. That's how you're structuring your business. If you're like, well, you know what? Like I'm only actually comfortable with 50%. I need to know for sure where the other 50% of my income is coming from, then that's going to help you shape any supplemental sources of income that you have um, coming in. Um, so you decide, so when we, when we um, talk about budgeting, planning, et cetera, for people whose income is by nature of their chosen career variable, then it, flips the calculus of budgeting like on its head. So normally if you read any sort of budgeting book, it's like, well, figure out how much you earn and then just make sure you spend within that, right? But it's impossible to do that if you're waiting for other people to say yes. Um, And I don't know who's going to, how many people I can hope that, let's say, this contract turns into a yes or this um, these five clients turn into a yes or these five gigs turn into a yes. Um, But you don't know. So your task, as it were, is to decide first how much you need, right? How much does it cost me to live? How much does it cost me to be me? Um, And then make the plan to earn that in whatever form that might take. And it's a very different approach, right, than what we might think of when we think of budgeting. So that's the the, the idea here. Decide how much I need base that in reality. So I guess we'll talk probably more about that. Um, but decide how much I need, make the plan to get it. And it probably will wind up being some combination of the freelance income, the the yeses, and the consistent income, right? And it could be 99% freelance income and 1% consistent income. It could be the other way, right? It could be, let's maybe even like 10% um, 
freelance income in 90% because but you get to decide where you want that needle to fall if you can imagine like a a dial kind of you get to decide where on that dial the needle falls um but once you've decided that then you sally forth and you try to make that that happen and that's where the, the work really is um in addition to giving helpful information to our listeners i'd like you to know that you just weighed in on a repetitive marital dispute in my household so thank <laughs> you and oh, for really? the record i won um <laughs> Because that is, yeah, because uh, that my husband ascribes, who's also an artist, ascribes to that more conventional model of budgeting. And I have always worked with that flipped model that you just described. It works well for me. So we'll be talking about that off the air later. Um, Let's talk about budgeting right now. Um, That's a great setup. So could you just give us a few more bullet points on Um, what else goes into budgeting, how it's done, what should be considered? So, yeah, so the the way that I approach budgeting is a little, like, well, I guess it's the same as that, like, mental, spiritual, and physical. It, like, incorporates more things than just let's look at the numbers. Um, So budgeting is a three-step process and within the one of the steps there's even more steps so it's a three a major mainly three-step process the big picture steps are intention attention and action so intention what do I want that's the first step to figure out what you even want why are you doing this and that's why budgeting well that's one of the reasons that budgeting fails for so many and why we maybe have a hate really I wouldn't say a love hate relationship just a hate relationship um with it um because we're not it's not connected to what we actually want um and that could be you know big picture or small picture right what do I want for my life as a whole like what's my vision and what do I want to eat for lunch right mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um and then attention so actually looking very 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 um, in a very detailed way at the numbers to come up with a plan. So the goal of intention is to figure out what what do I want? And then the goal of attention is to figure out what's my plan. And then the third step is action. So then it's as I'm implementing, what do I need um, to make this work? Do I need more money? <laughs> do I need more um support? Do I need more accountability? Do I need more information? Do I need more education? Do I need more practice? Right? So I need I need something else maybe. So what do I need to make this work? Within attention. So intention, attention, action. What do I want? What's my plan? What do I need? Within attention, this is the area where we may um, not spend enough time. So I always say when you work with me or um, or you're in one of my workshops and I keep you in the attention phase way longer than you might think any human being needs to be there. So if you're not working with me, then you need to stay in the attention phase way longer because I'm not going to hold you to tasks that will keep, to keep you there. Um, be in there way longer than you think. Like keep going to stay in attention before you start coming up with, start taking action. Um, so the attention phase consists of gathering information, analyzing the information, and making a decision. So notice during no part of that are we actually taking action. So what it looks like when you're not doing that is I started looking at my numbers, I looked at my bills, 
my God, I spend way too much on cable, so I'm just cutting that out. And then I started looking at my spending, and oh my God, I can't believe how much coffee I drink, so I'm just not going to have coffee anymore. And then that's that's not a sustainable plan, right? So we, if we're thinking about what we want, maybe we want to watch things that are only available on cable. I actually did recently cut cable, but I used to really, really, really love watching New York One, and it was only available on cable. Um, so that was, unfortunately, an expense that we kept paying for because I was like, but I can't do without New York One in the morning. And, and for those who are not New York based listeners, New York One is the like basically local news channel and they had a morning show that was like everything that was going on in New York City. Well, they still have it. I just don't have it anymore. Um, but they have a, a news, um, a morning show that's about three hours long that um, is everything that's going on in the city from like, you know, the kind of bigger in New York City, so like the bigger things to like, they'll go to a restaurant and like that I may not have heard of in Brooklyn and like interview the restaurant owners. So I loved watching that, but I was like the rest of the rest of cable is just got to go. Um, so, but I was thinking about what do I want? Well, I really want to watch that. So I make that a priority and then maybe something else that's not as much of a priority goes away. So that's one of the first steps to budgeting, figuring out what I want, cutting out, um, or sorry, doing a, an analysis of, of all the information that I've gathered, then making a plan and then taking action on that plan and then seeing based on the actions that I'm taking, what feels good about this plan, what needs to not be part of this plan, and then go back to what do I want, gather more information, analyze, make a decision, take action, and just keep going around and around and around in that beautiful circle. So it's a lot more than just, I looked at my numbers, this is what we spend too much on, this is what needs to go, the end. Right. And that's, so much I mean, more that's, than that. it's basically that analyzing step. It sounds like you're saying, you know, people gather the information and then they make a decision that something yeah. has to go instead of doing yeah. that middle step of, well, how much do I value this? And is it worth it? And when I'm getting that, you know, coffee, is it also when I'm networking or, you know, whatever exactly. might be exactly. involved? Um, exactly. Great. I think that gives a good um, f sort of sketch of budgeting, right? Do we, do we want to add, I mean, I'm, this is your life. You could add 8 million more things. <laughs> yes, um, we will have a six-week workshop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so um, we'll just not, like, condense it down to, like, three minutes. Um, yeah, there's one other piece of it as you are, as you have your plan and you're implementing it, right? So once you've stayed in attention longer than anybody thinks they need to be there, um, once you make the decisions and you start implementing the plan, you do have to be very conscious of, of the plan. So there's a tracking element that has to happen, too. Um, so you've, you've got the plan, now you're going out and seeing if it's actually working. It doesn't do you any good to just have the plan and then like, great, I have a budget. I know how much I quote should be, my air quotes again, should be spending. Um, but I'm not sure if I actually am. And I don't find out until I look at my numbers, like, you know, at the end of the month or at the end of the year or never, right? You need to actually be tracking it in real time against what you've decided is the number. So, for example, um, let's say we'll use coffee because it's everyone's least favorite um, example. Um, so, let's say I set a budget of um, $30 a week, right? And I'm not saying this is a good number or not a good number. I am just throwing out a number. Um, so, for coffee, right. So $30 a week for coffee. So this will help me know, you know, it's, let's say my budget 
my budget week starts on Sunday. So it's Thursday and I have already spent $24 and I have three, so three days left. How much did I say I spent? $23. So I spent $23. It's Thursday. I have $7 left to get me through the weekend, right? So now I'm going to go into Starbucks and decide I have $7. Am I going to spend that $7 today? Am I going to spend it tomorrow? Am I going to spend it Saturday? Or am I going to push it over to next week? But there has to be a tracking element that I know how much I've spent so far against what I said I wanted to spend. And there has to be a reason. So going back to that um, analysis piece, and even the what do I want piece, there has to be a reason behind that $30 too. Right? So if I used to spend, before I started looking at my numbers and deciding to make a budget, if I used to spend $300 a week on coffee um, and I'm deciding I'm going to cut it to 30 like there's got to be a reason that I am cutting it to 30 and that I think I can cut it to 30, right? Because that's a big jump. That's, that's, you're cutting out 90% of your, of your normal coffee spend. Um, and maybe you do want to do that and maybe there is a reason, but make sure you're clear on that reason and um, that it feels realistic for you. And then you track against that $30 to see, again, only as an example, um, um, just to see if, um, if that is realistic and know how much you have left that's sort of the cycle of like all learning or assessment like in my field of um physical training you know you make a plan and then you do all the things you said and then you Mm -hmm. implement the plan and then you evaluate the plan right yeah i didn't i didn't like yeah no no (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's just that that repetitive thing of yeah assess 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 um so um, Marissa and I recently did this research on well-being using like a really multifactorial model. And unsurprisingly, we found that many dancers worry about money, not news. Um, but when we asked about um, the ideal self-care actions that dancers would take, only one person out of uh, what we we evaluated over 100 respondents, so 176 or something, but we have even more respondents to the survey. Only one person said they would ask to be paid more for what they do. So after we talk about budgeting, or (laughs) since we've just talked about budgeting, um, should dancers be advocating for more compensation? Is it realistic? Um, Do you think that that's something dancers shy away from when they shouldn't? (laughs) of course um of course i mean i don't i i i'm let me gather my thoughts that is amazing that you did the study and that you found that i am not surprised by it um i think it's probably true across many professions too that you know many 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 of us are not you know being paid what the value is for the work that we're um, providing, and then also that um, you know aren't asking for it necessarily. And I would say probably um, even more inherent in the field of dance, um, simply because again, there's this feeling like, well, you're lucky enough to be able to do something that you love for a living, so you just take what you can get. Um, 
right? So, so certainly, yes. Hell yeah. Let's, can I say that? Sorry. H-E double hockey sticks. Yes. Let's, um, let's advocate um, for more pay in the, in the dance world. Of course. Um, of course. And, and wow, that, yeah, I think that, that doesn't surprise me, but I find it very sad, right? That, yeah. How, they wouldn't ask for more. How, can you just give us um, a short script of how someone might ask for their financial needs to be met with an employer in dance. Um, I don't think I can give a script. Okay, so I'll just put that out there. But I would say um, that any script that you have or any um, conversation that is had needs to start with you being clear about what you want and why you want it, right? Why you, why, why, forget like why they should give it to you or like why, you know, you need to be very clear about what you want and why. Um, And then um, articulate and frame it or articulate or frame it so that it benefits them, right? Because nobody is interested in your sob story. Like, no offense. Although maybe if you're offended, you get angry, that will help. But, um, and right, nobody's interested in the sob story. Like that's, or, or maybe they're interested, but it's not as persuasive as what's in it for me. And I don't mean what's in it for me as the dancer. I mean, what's in it for me as the person with the money giving it to, the, to you. Um, so if I know how this is going to benefit me, Sadly, um, that is the best chance you have to be persuasive um, and to to get what you're seeking, um, whatever that happens to be. But you need to be very confident that about what you want, um, why, and maybe even like why you're entitled to it or why you deserve it, not why you you know, maybe that's not as convincing why you want it, right? That part's not as convincing, but you need to be so clear on that, but certainly why you deserve it or why you've earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how it's going to benefit, like right. what the what the person giving you the money is going to get out of it. Like the, that's what they ultimately care about. The why you want it, you might not even share, right? Like, but right. you need to right. know why you want clear it. Clear on it. And you might not tell them that, but what you'll tell them is why why you're worth it and why they'll benefit from giving it to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the that second piece. Yeah, that's the most persuasive. Great. Um, so we're releasing this episode on January 1st, um, a time when, of course, dancers and everyone around the world might be making resolutions to help <laughs> um, new habit form new healthier, better habits. Um, so what financial advice um, would you give on the new year? Um, I can give you a couple of different scenarios if you want, or you can just give me a, a blanket bit of advice for January 1. It starts with knowing your, well, it starts with two things. <laughs> it starts with knowing what you want and why, which we already talked about, um, and being really, really clear on where you are now. And so if you don't know that, and I mean, like, if I asked you how much you spend on coffee, you should be able to, on average, every month, you should be able to tell me, like, done, right? Not like, oh, I'm not sure it's about, like, no, 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 you should know that number hard. Um, so if you are not that clear, like, that would be step 
one um, is getting very, very clear on what all your numbers look like now. And this is a a process that with my clients can take, you know, hours, weeks, months, right, to figure out to the level of detail that you really need to know it, but um, really get a sense of how or get a clear, clear sense, know exactly how money is flowing out. Um, and then I would say also, um, you know, be kind to yourself. So come at this from a place of I am on a journey and I'm at where I'm at on that journey and I'm just trying to get to the next step right on that journey. And so if you're not aware, fully 100% aware of where all the money is going, then that's where that's where you would start. What if somebody's so terrified to explore those numbers? You know, I, I can think of dancers who are just like so deep in college debt and credit card debt. Um, what if the idea of investigating that stuff is so scary and hopeless. What do you advise for that person as a first step? Get support. Get Find a place that you can get support. Get support. Um, is this where I can put in my plug for the Actors Fund? Cause yeah, please. <laughs> so, um, the, it's very important, I think, around this because isolation we talked about before, right? Not not healthy. You're, I, I could say I don't know you if you're listening to my melodious my voice I don't know you probably um and I can almost guarantee that you are not the only person dealing with whatever it is that you're dealing with um you aren't the first you won't be the last somebody else has this the best chance that you have to find it is to be in a supportive community around this um so that is what the financial wellness program is designed to do um, if it's not the financial wellness program because we're only limited to New York and LA and Chicago. Uh, so if it's not the Actors Fund Financial Wellness Program, then maybe create your own supportive community around it where you are educating, holding each other accountable, and loving on each other um, with this because it's really, really, it is hard. It is hard. It's triggering. I've had Clients say, like, can you just sit with me while I do this? Like, I would just feel better if you're just here in the room with me um, when I do it. Because it's so terrifying to me to look at these numbers. Um, and, you know, no matter what they are. So for some clients, it's like, can you just sit there sit there with me on the phone? Breathe with me on the phone while I open up my student loan um, statement or log into my student loan account and actually look at the balance or I run my credit report, or I actually add up all of these numbers, all of these expenses that I've had. Um, so that is really, really major. If it wasn't, then I wouldn't have a job, quite frankly. So it's definitely, it's a big enough deal that I have a job. Um, so um, so absolutely support and community. Um, if you are at a place where you're like, well, I don't necessarily need like people in the room with me breathing with me, then at the very least, I would say you've got to do it, right? You've got to do it. So you've got to find a way to make this okay. Acknowledge any resistance that you're feeling though, if there is any, which there usually is. So acknowledge it. Isn't that cute? Like I'm feeling resistance. Where is it coming from? Why is it, why is it here? Um, and then focus on um, just making lists, right? That's what it is. That's that's what this is about like this gathering information finding your starting point is just having a list of all of the money that you've spent 
are all of the ways that money has flowed out um, over, let's say, the past, we usually do six months. Um, so over the last six months, um, where did it go? Um, and just have a list, right? Start making lists, start grouping things, and you're kind of organizing it, grouping things into categories. Um, as you're doing this work, have a tasty beverage next to you. Have a mu- have music on that you like. Have a TV show on that you like. Be listening to an audio book, right? Something that um, you can connect to, like a nice, nice scented candle, right? Something that you can connect to. Right, a beautiful plant. Right, something that's going to help you. All and the reason I think I was um, mentioning things like, like music or beverage or something that has like a quantity is that you can say, okay, when I'm finished with this, then I stop. Right, so you don't have to do it all in one shot. Right, I like I'm I'm a musician, so I like to work with albums. So I'll, I'll put on an album because I'm like the album is a work of art, so it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So I will start with an artist that I like, listen to the album. I know the album is, let's say, 70 minutes long, so I know I'm going to work on this for 70 minutes. And then I'm done putting it away until the next time. Um, If 70 minutes feels too long, then maybe it's the length of a song, right? Or maybe it's as long as it takes me to finish this drink, (laughs) whatever I'm drinking. Um, So maybe to finish this chapter or to watch this show, right? Something that it's connected to or just a timer, Um, but setting a time boundary around it when you start. I think also can be very, very helpful. So you don't feel so overwhelmed, especially if you haven't ever done anything like this before or have done it, but it has not worked out so well um, or felt so great. Um, so we're working on this one piece at a time. Um, and just in closing, um, you mentioned the Actors Fund, which we love. Um, what what other and what other resources are available? Okay. Well, I would say at least for the Actors Fund, if you are in New York City, Los Angeles, or Chicago, then you need to take, I mean, just like no no way around this. You need to take advantage of the resources available at the Actors Fund. Um, occasionally, we also um, go on the road, um, but definitely those three cities. Um, everything we do here is free for everyone in entertainment, and that includes dancers. Um, so... You can come to, and and I treat the workshops here that I teach here as though they are very expensive. So you're getting, like, it's not just, like, some, like, silly free workshop. No, I'm like, no, we are committed to this. We are serious about it. Like, this is amazing. So the Actors Fund is an amazing resource, um, not just for financial wellness, um, but for all kinds of other things as well. Um, So the financial wellness workshops that we have here um, begin with something called Budgeting That's in Folds, which is a single-session workshop, and then it goes from there into a six-week workshop called Managing Cash Flow, and then from there into a two-year experience of monthly check-ins called the Graduate Groups. Um, and um, throughout that, we read different books and have um, guest speakers and support each other and love each other and um, watch each other grow in our financial lives. So um, really amazing, amazing, amazing organization that I am just so blessed and honored and happy to be a part of. Um, I personally do work remote. So with the Actors Fund, I don't, we don't do any remote work. Everything is um, in person here. And um, it's the same program in New York, Chicago, and LA. Um, For my own um, private practice, I do absolutely work remotely. I just don't work free. (laughs) So um, that's the difference. Um, but I absolutely have, um, 
I do individual counseling um, as well as group workshops to um, target towards passionate professionals, um, so also including dancers. Um, like I said before, I think the well, I've said it several times actually, but there's rarely a situation um, where it's like completely unique. So usually there's some connection um, among you and the other people um, in the room or even in the virtual room with you. Um, and that community, I think, is so, so important. So one of the exercises I do in one of my workshops is somebody will share something and I say, how many other people are feeling this or how many people resonated with any or all of what was just shared? And like every single hand will go up, like every single time, like if I'm kind of giving it away, but that's what happens. Um, so I think having that community around this just makes it that much easier, right? And it's not to say that it's easy, but it just makes it that much easier, right? It's a, there's a huge benefit, um, a huge benefit to that. Um, thank you for that information. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? And also, would you like to share your contact info and um, the website for the Actors Fund? And we can put all of that in the show notes and also on our website. I want to reiterate it if I did. Um, this is a journey, right? It's not a destination. So your financial wellness is not like, okay, like I should know this by now or I do it once and then it goes in a drawer. Like this is, you have a lifelong relationship with money. Money affects everything. It affects where you live, who you know, what you do, what you eat, what you wear, right? It affects everything. Um so you have you have no choice but to have this relationship with it. Um, so how are you going to make that work? That's the work, right? Figuring out how to have that, just like any other relationship you have with any other person in your life, how are you going to make this a good relationship? Um, and that is a journey, and it involves a process, and it involves doing it and engaging with it regularly just like you would any anything related to dance right you have to practice to be good at it so this you also need need to practice to be good at it we're not born knowing how to do this and we don't even have systemic or systematic education at least not in the united states um so you've got to got to figure it out for yourself in a way that feels right for you and that is sustainable for you um and it is possible. I've seen it. I mean, again, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't. So it is definitely possible. Um, and it's a commitment, right? It is a commitment. So it, it takes that work and it takes that the desire to to grow and be on that be on that path. Um, as far as my contact information, so the Actors Fund um, is actorsfund.org. To find financial wellness specifically, it's a little, it's not like kind of right there. So I usually would direct people to actorsfund.org forward slash workshops. Um, so workshops, plural, actorsfund.org forward slash workshops. Um, and then to learn more about me and what I do, how I got involved in this crazy, crazy world, amazing world, wonderful job, amazing organization of financial wellness, um, you can visit my personal website, which is Rebecca Eve. Dot com. So it's my first name and middle name, dot com, Rebecca Eve, dot com. And I also have additional free resources there. So you can check those out. This has been fantastic um, in education for me and um, I'm sure many of our listeners. Such important information, um, such a critical part of wellness that, you know, we tend to overlook while we're talking about 
sort of psychological and physical elements of wellness. So I really am so appreciative. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. It is always, always a joy to be able to share this information and these resources and this, these, these feelings and, and thoughts um, with as many people who will listen. So thank you for having me. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.